Hey, Playmakers, real quick before we get into today's episode, if you're one of those listeners that just cannot wait for that next episode to drop, and if you're over on YouTube and my website binging my content there, I just wanted to say thank you. It means the world to me. But just remember, the free stuff will only get you so far. So if you want my complete proven blueprint for opening a successful and sustainable play cafe or indoor playground business that is profitable from day one, I want to invite you to join me inside my signature course, Play Cafe Academy. Head to the show notes right now to get instant on-demand access to all 12 modules, your detailed pre-launch checklist, your 34-page business plan template, your plug-and-play financial model to help you estimate your startup costs and project your revenue, and everything you need to save time, money, and frustration throughout your entire opening process. For a limited time right now, you'll also get an entire month of free access to Playmaker Society, my invite-only membership created exclusively for Play Cafe Academy students who want to work with me personally to optimize and scale their businesses through coaching, guest experts, legal and operations templates, and plug-and-play resources, plus collaboration with over 220 other owners, plus so much more. Head to the show notes and choose your preferred way to pay in full or over time right now. You'll get more information on the current bonuses. You'll see some success stories of those who have gone before you and exactly what to expect when you join us inside the program. I will see you there. If you're in the play and party business and you want to operate with more ease and joy, all while making the living you dreamed of, I created the Profitable Play Podcast just for you. Join me, your host, Michelle Caruana, for Small But Mighty Tips Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays that will all add up to a big impact on your mindset, your business, and your bottom line. Stick with me to keep the passion and grow the profit in your play or party-based business. All right, Playmakers, happy Friday. Let's dive right into today's episode. So on this podcast, we talk a lot about delegation and just how essential that is for the long-term sustainability of your business. And with that comes the entire conversation about recruiting, hiring, and retaining high-quality employees. And We talk about all that on episodes 35 and 109 of this podcast. And by the way, I had to do a lot of research for this episode, and I have a lot of follow-up YouTube videos and articles and podcast episodes for you to check out if you want to do a deeper dive on anything I mention here. So I don't want to have to say it a million different times throughout this episode, but just know All of the sources, all of the articles, and all of the episodes I mentioned are all linked in the show notes of this episode. So again, if this is a topic that you're interested in learning more about, head to the show notes. Everything is linked there, ready for you to research. So going back to recruiting, hiring, and retaining high-quality employees, as I described in more detail back in episode 163 of this podcast, that can be easier said than done. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard indoor playground owners say that hiring and managing a team is something that really shocked them once they launched their business in terms of just how much time and energy it takes. And a lot of people actually 
say that this is the most difficult part of running their business. So diving in a little bit more to this topic, forecasts by Corn Ferry cited that by 2030, more than 85 million jobs might go unfilled as there won't be enough workers to fill them. And Deloitte estimated that at least 1 million more retail workers are required in addition to the 15.7 million existing retail employees for the industry to continue to thrive. And a lot of people don't necessarily think of indoor playgrounds as part of the retail sector, but in this case, we do fall into this category. And according to advisory firm IHL, the most significant challenges to inventory distortion are the availability of workers and the disruptions outside of the immediate control of the retailer. And the retailer in this case is us, the business owners. And real quick, if that just kind of went right over your head, same, I had to do again, a little bit more digging on this, but basically inventory distortion is referring to lost sales from out of stock items and similar issues that often plague retailers. So for us in a more service-based business, inventory distortion might look like not being able to host certain classes or events that we know our customers would book or book enough party slots to fill demand simply because we don't have enough staff willing to work those shifts. And this loss of sales can be crippling to our businesses. And basically, what this advisory firm is also saying is that business owners are operating from a place of scarcity right now, and that's a dangerous thing. We're making key business decisions not based on our customer demand numbers, but instead based on how many staff members we have to fill that demand. Again, kind of what I was referring to with inventory distortion. And this often creates a big gap in a business's true sales potential and what we're actually able to produce in this stark current reality. Overall, the retail hiring situation is clouded with uncertainty and the worker shortage is a major concern to retailers and you know us as business owners, particularly with the increased demand for workers around our busy seasons where We rely on increased sales to fuel our businesses through the slower time. So just to give you a real life example, our busy indoor play season for, you know, New York, which is where our indoor playground was located, took place anywhere from October all the way through to May. So we absolutely relied on booking every single available party slot, doing as many events and classes as possible. And If we weren't able to book every single party slot because of a worker shortage, we would not have been able to make it through those slower months where not as many people are booking indoor birthday parties and wanting to frequent indoor playgrounds. All of this uncertainty can leave retail business owners like us having to think outside the box when it comes to fulfilling our customers' demand. Again, in episodes 163 and 164 of this podcast, we talked about the option of hiring virtual assistants or remote employees for tasks like bookkeeping, marketing, and business organization that don't require a physical presence in your brick-and-mortar business. So these tasks can be done from anywhere. 
And while that can certainly help fill the gap between the tasks we want to delegate as business owners and what can actually be fulfilled by our team, some tasks will still require us to hire local in-person retail employees, which is where many of us are struggling right now. So if this seems all too familiar, this is the episode for you. And this often shifts the conversation to the difference between hiring actual payroll employees versus 1099 contractors to fill the needed roles in our companies. So let's talk about the difference so you can make the soundest decision for your business because a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, I can't find enough payroll employees that want to work on an ongoing basis. So, you know, to reduce my risk and to reduce my liability as an owner and, you know, employer, I'm just going to focus on contractors. I don't want to deal with managing a team or anything like that. So I'm going to keep it simple and hire contractors. But this can be a huge mistake and it's often clouded with misconception. So let's clear all of that up in this episode, shall we? So first, let's consider the difference between the two categories of workers. When you hire someone, they will either be classified as an employee or an independent contractor, or sometimes referred to as a 1099 contractor. So with actual payroll employees, you'll have more control over their performance and actions, but more compliance obligations, which we're going to elaborate on in a second. With contractors, you'll have less compliance obligations, but also less control. Let's examine how the IRS determines the difference between a contractor and an employee. And by the way, I just want to put this right out, you know, at the beginning, we're also going to elaborate more on this towards the end of the episode, but Just so you know, the IRS determines anyone that works in your business as an employee unless you can prove otherwise. So while you're listening to this, again, just keep that in mind, and we're going to dive deeper into that in a few minutes. But in the end, it comes down to four main factors for retail businesses like ours. Number one, performance. So if you exert control over your workers' job tasks, such as when, where, and how they work, then the worker is more likely to be considered an employee by the IRS. If your worker chooses when, where, and how they work, then you can prove the worker is a contractor. Number two is equipment. If you provide equipment, so coffee equipment, point of sale system, a brick and mortar store where your employees' tasks will be completed, if you employ, if you provide this sort of thing for your workers, then the workers are more likely to be considered an employee or employees. If your worker provides their own equipment, then they're likely to be considered a contractor. So For example, if you hire a balloon vendor to build an arch for a party and they bring their own air compressors, balloons, balloon stands, things like that, they're more likely to be considered a contractor and you can pay them as such. If you hire someone to provide your parties with balloons on an ongoing basis and you as the business owner want to dictate what kinds of balloons they use, what kinds of equipment they use, exactly what it's going to look like. If you provide the helium or air machine stands, party decor, 
all that kind of stuff, that's considered hiring an employee by the IRS. Or similarly, let's say you want to hire somebody to create social media graphics or things like that. If you want them to do this with you know, pictures they take in your business and you give them a computer or tools to use to create these, then that might be an employee. And this is where a little bit of gray area comes into play. So we're going to elaborate more on that again in just a minute. All right, number three, payment. If you pay a worker on a regular ongoing basis, especially without any set termination or contract completion date, then the worker is more likely to be an employee. If you pay a worker on a project basis, then the worker is more likely to be considered a contractor. Going back to the balloon example, if you pay per installation, that may be able to be considered a contractor. All right, number four, term and termination. If either party can terminate the relationship at any time for any legal reason, then the worker is more likely to be an employee. If the party's termination rights are subject to a contract, so for example, if a service or task must be performed according to a specified agreement, like for example, if a balloon arch for a specific party on a specific date that this contract or agreed to must be completed and fulfilled before that relationship is terminated, then the worker is more likely to be a contractor. And this is where a lot of people get confused. So if you need to rewind 30 seconds and listen to that again, I want you to go ahead and do so because this, again, can be one of the more difficult concepts to grasp. Now, let's look at the tax obligations of each and how we pay employees versus contractors. Now, as you likely have been all too familiar with since you became of working age, taxes are usually required to be paid on wages. Now, how these taxes are collected and paid depends on how an employee is classified, which again is determined by the factors that we just mentioned, amongst a few others, such as whether you offer benefits, such as health care and pay time off, which just to keep things simple, we aren't going to cover here since it's not incredibly common for those things to be provided in our industry for part-time workers. Just know that if you do plan to offer health care and other benefits packages, this adds a layer that you'll need to research with your lawyer and your accountant. Again, I'm going to kind of gloss over that section, but if you do plan to offer that, you need to do this additional digging. So with an employee, you as the owner will withhold taxes from their check and remit it to the government, whether that be the federal or local government branches, as the law requires. And I cannot recommend hiring a virtual or local payroll company enough to take this burden off your plate since it can quickly get complicated, even if you just have a few part-time employees, and it can result in pricey fines if you complete this task incorrectly. These withholdings will also include things like disability, unemployment, and workers' compensation taxes. If you'd like to learn more about these three types of withholdings and what insurance you're required to carry for each on your side as the business owner, I created a YouTube video that is linked in the show notes. All right, now with a contractor, 
you can usually avoid workers' compensation and unemployment tax obligations and disability. However, if you pay a contractor more than $600 in one year, then you'll need to use W-9s and 1099s for that contractor. And that's where the term 1099 contractor is actually coming from. And you might've heard that term before. Again, it's referring to the IRS form 1099 or 1099. Now, these forms are just to make sure that, again, as you're paying these employees, it's so the government can be sure that this contractor is actually claiming this income because without these forms, they can technically just hide it. And that's not going to be good for you or for them. And I promise you, whether it's this year or five years down the road, the IRS will find out about any of this hidden income. And you guys could both face penalties for it. So a W-9 is a form that you'll collect from a contractor at the beginning of your contract with them. And this is your responsibility as a business owner. And this form will simply state their business information, tax ID number, and things like that. You'll also want to verify that they carry their own business liability insurance before you do business with them. But that's honestly another conversation for another time. Now, as long as you've collected the W-9 form from each contractor, you can then issue a 1099 form after a tax year has ended, or you can complete that form yourself. You'll likely provide your tax accountant with the contractor's information and how much you paid them, and you'll give a copy to the IRS as well as to the contractor. So this is a form that you're going to issue as a business owner. And again, this is your responsibility to do. No one's going to remind you to do this, except maybe your accountant, if you hired a good one. The IRS will then use that information to make sure the contractor reports the payment on their tax return. Again, instead of withholding all of these fees and taxes from their check. All right, I know that is super confusing. So again, more information is linked in the show notes. Now let's navigate another tricky subject, intellectual property. And this is one I want you to really pay attention to. So when you hire a payroll employee, you typically retain the right to any intellectual property they create during their time working for your business. So for example, if they take video and photos, create marketing materials, come up with classes and programs and write curriculum, all that good stuff, since you hired them as an employee and provided them with the tools and equipment needed to create these items, you will own the rights to the intellectual property they produce. If you hire contractors, even if you pay them, they will typically own the rights to the intellectual property of work they create for your business. This means that they can produce work for you and then walk right over to your competitor and legally replicate these items for them. Now, you can put safeguards in place to protect yourself. Like, for example, you can distinguish creative work as works made for hire in your written independent contractor agreement, a template template of which I provide to all of my Playmaker Society members, but it's not a foolproof system and you're going to need to hire a lawyer to 
make sure you are fully protecting yourself. And again, making sure that these contractors aren't just offering the exact same services to your competitors. I'll share some tips about working with independent contractors in my next episode, but just to summarize my suggestions in regards to hiring employees versus independent contractors, again, to kind of wrap this whole episode up with a nice little bow, you should likely hire employees if, number one, the nature of the work you need done requires your supervision or control. Number two, you want to control the hours and work and the tools and equipment that is used by the workers. Number three, if you're filling a long-term need as opposed to a one-time or sporadic need, like for example, for one balloon arch for one party. And then number four, if this work is essential to your business and not a peripheral task. So for example, a person checking customers in and operating your point of sale system is essential to your business. A social media manager is not considered essential. So again, if you need to rewind and listen to that again, those are four reasons that you should hire an employee, not a contractor. Now you can hire a contractor if number one, the work is again, not central to your business. So for example, cleaning after hours or scheduling social media posts. Number two, the work can be done in a location and style or during hours completely determined by the contractor. And number three, to kind of elaborate on that and specify, if the contractor can determine their own hours and use their tools to complete the task. So for example, if you're hiring a social media manager, the contract is for, let's say, 25 posts produced by this specific day, but they can determine what days they create these posts, how they create it, what tools they use, all that good stuff. That would be a contractor task. All right. And then number four, if the work is a short-term project that will be completed in a defined period of time. And then finally, number five, if the worker has professional expertise or is someone who needs little supervision, like an established balloon artist or graphic designer. So to sum it up, again, if you want to exercise any control or standards or anything like that over your worker, it's generally more advisable to hire an employee versus a contractor. In the end, I generally consider both employees and independent contractors to be essential in operating a successful and sustainable indoor playground or play cafe business. Even in the example I gave in Profitable Play episodes 163 and 164, where we talked about hiring a virtual assistant, you'll still need to decide if that virtual assistant ends up being filled by an employee, so in this case, a remote employee, or a virtual independent contractor. The takeaway I want you to get from this is that the decision to hire a worker as an employee or contractor should always be done on a case-by-case basis. And I want to caution you against making sweeping statements like, I'm only going to hire contractors or I only want to work with employees. I would typically never expect to run an entire business's operations, especially if you are a brick-and-mortar business, 
that has essential functions that need to be maintained by employees with 1099 contractors, as this can leave you as the owner with little control over your team's performance or the quality of work or service they produce for your customers. You will not have the same rights to train a contractor in your company's values and standards as you would a payroll employee. And this can be devastating to a brick and mortar business who is largely customer facing. If your customers have a completely inconsistent experience with each employee due to this lack of training and standards, not only are they likely not to become long-term customers, they will also likely not trust you to provide quality service for larger, more important investments like a birthday party for their child's special day. It may seem like a smart move to hire contractors at the beginning in terms of cost and time savings, but I promise this can end up being an absolutely critical mistake when, again, much of our business's success relies on our customers' experiences with our team. I generally recommend a mix of employees and contractors to operate your business at peak efficiency, which, again, I will give some tips for in the next episode on Monday. But one last thing I want to leave you with. Again, as I mentioned earlier, you should be aware that the IRS considers a worker to be an employee unless you can clearly and irrefutably prove otherwise. So even if your plan is to hire only contractors to, again, I'm using air quotes here if you could see me, to supposedly save yourself from perceived obligation, and again, this can be a huge mistake, hence the air quotes, If they do not meet all of the requirements to be considered a contractor, as I outlined at the beginning of this episode, you may find yourself having to consider them an employee in the eyes of the IRS anyway, especially in the case of an audit, which are all too common for retail businesses. Now, I don't know how many of you guys that listen to this podcast also watch football, but we're in the middle of the playoffs right now. So this is the best analogy that I could think of as a football fan. You'll likely know if you watch football that the call on the field is kind of the standard. And if a coach challenges it or if there's some sort of official review, there has to be absolutely irrefutable evidence in order to overturn that call on the field. So that call on the field, again, is the standard. And it has to be irrefutable in order to overturn it. And that is exactly how this evidence in the case of employee versus contractor works in this scenario. So the default always goes back to the call on the field, or in this case, considering a worker and employee, that is the default. So for example, if the IRS finds that you dictated your contractor's schedule, work environment, and required them to use your materials. So for example, your point of sale software or your equipment, like your cash register, you may not only be required to consider them an employee retroactively, you can be hit with hefty fines and back pay or maybe even benefits. So if the job description you're looking to fill does not meet the specifications of a contractor, again, I urge you to consider hiring an actual employee and 
training them on your standards and values. It will take more time up up front, but can ultimately be the keys to your success in the long run. And if you're listening to this and thinking, well, I'll hire a few contractors and then work at the physical business myself with the kids. So I'm going to hire contractors for those remote tasks and I'm going to do all the in-person work. If that sounds like you, and if you plan on bringing your kiddos with you, like I did at the beginning, like so many of us try to do, I appreciate and admire your optimism, but please end this episode and head right to the show notes to check out my latest YouTube video where I explain how that can be equally as crucial a mistake as hiring strictly contractors. It is so challenging, way more challenging than you could even imagine to have your kiddos, even if they're a little bit older, even if they're very well behaved to accompany you on the job. And there are so many unknown pitfalls to this. So again, please go to the show notes. And if you don't do any follow-up research based on any of the sources I talked about in this episode, at least take a minute to watch that YouTube video. And if you are in Playmaker Society, I provide all of the employee manual and training materials and things like that you will need to make the process of hiring actual payroll employees much easier and less daunting. All of the information to join Play Cafe Academy and Playmaker Society and any of my programs, as always, is in the show notes along with all that follow-up information and source materials I cited in this episode. All right. I hope you guys have an amazing week. Again, in Wednesday's episode, we are going to talk about some tips about working with contractors. Since I already have, again, those episodes about working with employees in episodes 35 and 109 of this podcast. I will see you there.